You're listening to the feed. This is the feed. This is the feed. The feed. You're listening to the feed. In Markham. In Richmond Hill. You're listening to the feed in Vaughan. In Stouffville. In Woodbridge. In Unionville. Welcome to The Feed. I'm Ann Romer. This is York Region's only news magazine show dedicated to the issues, events, and stories that matter to all of us who live and work here. Coming up, starting a business and succeeding during this pandemic, financial literacy for the whole gang, Carla's cookie box to benefit Mad Canada, but we begin with support for the skilled trades. Here's Tina Cortez. Francesco Sorbera is the MP for Vaughan Woodbridge and Parliamentary Secretary for the Minister of National Revenue. Thank you for your time and joining us on the feed. Oh, it's great to be with 105.9 all the time. So let's start with the nuts and bolts. What is this investment all about and who does it help? Well, we we were uh, very happy to announce on behalf of uh, Minister Qualtroff uh, an investment via what's called the Union Training and Innovation Program of uh, almost uh, $900,000 into the College of Carpenters and Allied Trades. We know uh, we need to get more youth involved in apprenticeships, and we also know that there's a shortage of trades uh, people. And this is one vehicle for us to invest in the trades, attract more youth, but also fill a gap for our economy. Uh, it's just so important. So let's talk a little bit about that. Why the investment in the skilled trades now at this point? And how does it help the Canadian economy recover from the financial impact of the pandemic? Oh, that is a great question, Tina. And, and what I would say is this, is we know, uh, first off, one way of recovering is through infrastructure. And we're making very large strategic infrastructure investments across Canada here, of course, in New York region. And we know part of that we need the, the trained and skilled labor force in order to, to, uh, to uh, make this uh, infrastructure, in order to build it. And, and we know these type of investments in, in what are called red seal trades, uh, they're good jobs, uh, they're jobs that middle-class Canadians want, but they need the skill set, and we need them trained, and the way of doing it through is apprenticeship programs, and the College of Carpenters and Allied Trades is, you know, one venue, one training facility here in, in Vaughan and Woodbridge uh, that uh, we know can train literally hundreds of, of young apprenticeships on a yearly basis. So you mentioned the College of Carpenters and Allied Trades, which is located right here in your riding in Vaughan Woodbridge. But how will they introduce online learning? How would that work? Is this not an area where hands-on training is really required? Well, absolutely. Hands-on training is, the, for the majority part, uh, very, very important for, for any apprenticeship that's uh, undertaken their pursuit in the red skilled, skilled, skilled trades, including uh, being, becoming a carpenter. But a portion of that is online learning. Uh, it is, it is, can be virtual learning. It can be very efficient for the, for the student having to, to undertake that part of the component of becoming an apprenticeship. And it's also quite innovative and uh, allows some flexibility for individuals. Uh, during COVID, they may not all be allowed or permitted to be together in, in, a, in, a, in a larger cohort. So this allows uh, for us to maintain the number of apprenticeships that we need, especially for those retirees, and build the economy uh, of to, not only for today, but also up for tomorrow. Can you share with us what are you know, some of the benefits for the key groups facing barriers, like women, newcomers to this country, um, persons with disabilities, and racialized Canadians? Well, we know from, our, our, from the surveys, you know, it's less than 5%. Some people say even estimate less than 2% of 15-year-old female students 
you know, will indicate that they plan to uh, to pursue a career in the skilled trades. For other community uh, racialized Canadians, uh, they just may not have the network or, or know how to who to reach out to and and how to reach out to. And we need to provide them the information. Uh, a lot of the infrastructure pr- uh, projects that are undertaken in Canada include what are called community benefits uh, to hire racialized Canadians to hire women, you know, and bring and bring folks on that, you know, in, in, in non-traditional sectors where they, they may not see someone from their community working there, and, and we need to establish that. We are working very, very hard to ensure that. There are a number of programs we put in place, and I'm so happy to, to you know, to say that even with our recent infrastructure investments with the, with the subway projects, um, you know, there'll be requirements to, to bring on women and to bring on uh, racialized Canadians, to bring on people from the black community, to, to ensure that they're represented and they're learning and that they can establish that network of individuals who are in that, in that career uh, uh, sector. Does this investment kick in right away? Uh, yes, it does. Uh, yes, it does. The the total investment is nearly sixty four million dollars across Canada, uh, here in Woodbridge with the College of Carpenters and Allied Trades, uh, nearly nine hundred thousand. And and literally, uh, this money is out the door. Uh, this money is with um, uh, with the with the College of Carpenters, and and they're putting it to use. And and, and it, you know they'll be using it over a five year period. And uh, I was happy to to meet with them and understand that the students will be receiving uh, this training, the benefit from this fund, uh, literally uh, right away. Have you heard from those in the skilled trades and how they have been coping through this pandemic? Well, they, the, the skilled trades, you know, uh, God bless them, they've been deemed essential from the beginning. Uh, and, and they've really have, have had to adjust their work habits. Uh, as you can imagine, even working on a high-rise number of people you can have in an elevator, sh- uh, an elevator shaft, uh, you know, they've had to take extreme precautions, do a lot of rapid testing, and, and I have to just applaud all, you know, the union members, uh, the companies that have kept their, their employees safe, that have done the right thing, that are now encouraging their employees, uh, the skilled trades folks, to get their vaccine shot, because we know at the end of the day that's what's going to get us back to normal. Uh, but they've really been working since the outset. They, you know, they haven't had a break, if, if, I, can, if I can use that term. Mm-hmm, for sure. MP Francesco Sorbera, Vaughn Woodbridge, thank you for joining us on the feed. Oh, you're welcome. Can you, you have a, a wonderful day. Thank you so much. And, and a big hello to all your listeners. The headline reads, starting a company during COVID, something likely many of us never even contemplated, thinking it would be far too difficult. Meet 33-year-old Sarah Sun, who prefers the word possible rather than impossible, and not only thought about creating a business during this pandemic, she actually got up and did it. And because of her tenacity, gumption, and true grit, Sarah Sun's new company is a smashing success. She joins us now on the feed. Sarah, welcome. Thank you, Anne. So you are the CEO and founder of ShareChest. Describe your company. Yeah, so ShareChest is dedicated to just making sure that investors and companies are able to come together and connect in a really digital online way, in a way that is a lot more effective than traditional methods of connecting investors and uh, uh, companies today. Did you see a need and was there a light bulb moment for you during this pandemic? Oh my goodness. You know, the pandemic really just, it turned everything upside down, obviously. But when it comes to the way that companies are constantly sourcing and talking to investors, they couldn't do any of that anymore. There were no roadshows. There were no conferences. 
And a lot of companies were really struggling with this idea of making a connection virtually and online. And so that's where, where we come in. And I think we've done a pretty good job of that to date. So explain exactly what happens when a company wants your help and needs ShareChest. Yeah, so the first thing that we do is we work with the company to create this little widget that sits on the company's website. This little widget is going to look like their brand, it's going to have some proprietary messaging, and it's really designed to be just a really friendly way for them to engage with potential visitors to their website. Uh, We try to tell all of our CEOs to make it a really personal message uh, and make sure that the potential investor knows that they're genuinely interested in starting a conversation with every new person that visits their website. And what do you personally do in order to help the heads of companies feel comfortable doing this? You know what? It really starts with the conversation and understanding what the company wants to achieve today. So some of them, you know, they're looking for new investors. Some of them are looking for very specific types of investors. Uh, And it's really just understanding what those needs are because the, the tool and the widgets that we create, they are customized for each of our different issuers, and they're all after something slightly different. And without that ability to listen really closely to their needs, uh, we aren't able to to meet their ultimate goal. So you not only created a company because of the pandemic, you created it during the pandemic. Were there challenges for you in starting a company during COVID-19? Oh, my goodness. You know what? I feel like the same challenge that we face is something that I think everyone can relate to. And that's honestly making human connections. I want every single person in our company to feel valued, to feel like they are part of this team and that we we can build a culture remotely. Uh, And without, we use technology tools to be able to do that effectively today. You have a couple of quotes that I have picked up on. One of them is, everyone needs a human connection. And the other is, I like to collect people. Those are great quotes from you, Sarah. (laughs) I do love to collect people. I just... (laughs) I love meeting people and I love engaging with them. And I just feel that sometimes you encounter people and they're in roles or they're in companies where they, don't, they aren't appreciated or you see potential in them and they could do so much more. And so I love, I love to make note of these people. And once, once I have opportunities that fit their skill sets or maybe I can nudge them in a direction that they didn't think that their career necessarily could have gone, uh, that's when I'll come knocking, I'll, I'll come calling. You have to have experience, which you have. You're very young, but you've got a lot of experience in your bag. You also, I believe, trust your intuition. So hiring and business development all done virtually during a pandemic. How did you do that? You know what? At first, the way that we expanded the team was the strength of sort of my personal network, um, other individuals on the team as well, uh, as well as just asking for help. Uh, the number of times where I have posted on my LinkedIn saying like, hey, I, you know what, friends? I'm looking for an intern. I'm hoping to hire someone just out of first year university. Please help. And my inbox just get flooded with people advocating for other people, recommending, introducing me to just amazing talent all across the country. It's absolutely astounding. You know, has anyone ever told you that you kind of sound like a business matchmaker? <laughs> no, that's actually the first time. I like it. I really like it. One other thing that you believe in, that you can be successful, you can still be nice. How, how does that happen? 
This is a tough one, especially in starting Share Trust. I've been reading a lot of books and a lot of, you know, profiles of really famous CEOs and individuals who have been successful throughout time. And one thing that really strikes me is a lot of these people aren't necessarily nice people. I think, like, I'm, I'm currently reading Ray Dalio's Principles, and he, he speaks about a point in his time where his company was, people in the company wrote him a letter telling him that he makes them feel you know, small and belittled, and he can be quite mean. And I just don't resonate with this. I mean, people tell me constantly, they're like, oh, sorry, you have to be tougher. You've got to be meaner. You've got to say no more often. And none of that resonates with me. And I also don't really have necessarily have a desire to become somebody like that either. I just I want to prove that I can do what I can do by being nice and inclusive and fostering that kind of environment, and I, I'm really hoping that there are other companies and other CEOs out there that are doing the same. Any challenges, because you're a young woman, when it comes to what you do and who you connect with? Absolutely. Hmm. I, find, uh, I get underestimated a lot. I think part of it is uh, my age, the way I look. Uh, a lot of people, I guess, uh, before I used to get a lot of questions, as to, like, how did I land in these types of roles? with the institutions that I was working with? How did I get the chance to gain that experience? Uh, people kind of, sometimes they look a little bit askance at me. And then uh, I, I take pride and pleasure in proving them wrong constantly, <laughs> again and again. Uh, and I, the other thing that I had to learn really early was I had to speak up for myself. I had to stand up and I had to advocate for myself. And I'll always jump in and try to advocate for anyone else that I feel is put in the same position. Interesting. When you were hiring, you posted a job ad for a chief technical officer. There were 80 applicants. Only three of them were women. Why was that? Oh, so frustrating. I do know, you know, I spent so much time advocating for women in STEM and coaching girls in mathematics. I know that the technology field just by nature of what has happened through history, there are just not a lot of women in those fields. It was so discouraging to see that my application pool was so skewed from a gender perspective. I think part of it is, uh, I, you know what, I'm still asking the question. I'm asking my friends. I'm asking people in my network. Uh, I want to know where are all the women. Some of them, it's just the wrong time of, it's the wrong time of year for them, really. Some of them, uh, unfortunately, COVID has put some ridiculous stressors on women, especially with small children, and so they aren't able to pursue opportunities like this with me. And for some of them as well, I think I think there's a little bit of, uh, in my personal network, there's this idea that a, a female would rather be invited to apply to a job posting as opposed to just applying to one uh, straight off, right off the bat. You know, I, I'm trying to get to know who you are. And I, I look at your achievements so far, 2019, named to the Women's Executive Network, the list of the top 100 most powerful women. You have a double major in mathematics, University of Waterloo. You specialize in AI and data applications. You are an entrepreneur. You even coached the Canadian international math team all the way to the Math Olympiad. And you love Pokemon. So how much, <laughs> how much of... Share chest is a reflection of the many facets of you, your life, and your personality. I almost say the whole thing. I I don't know what I'm doing from day to day, quite honestly. I feel like every day is a challenge. Every day is something new. But everything that I've ever done in my life is because I enjoy being challenged and I absolutely hate being bored. 
And so a new business challenge or, you know, trying to expand the business, uh, begging for that first client or expanding into other areas, it's all been it's all been fun. It's almost like a game for me, a game riddled with anxiety and challenges, but still a fun game nonetheless. And we bring in Pokemon. I'm, that you've, you've been passionate about it probably since its inception. I don't know how long Pokemon's been around, but you still love it. Why? I do. You know, it's such an escape for me, and I think part of it is just this throwback to my childhood when I was playing those original games. And then now, these days, I'm just finding that running this business and the stress and the pressure that has come with that, you know, I need an escape. And I'll do that by making sure that there's some sort of physical activity in my life. So I'll go for a run. I'll take my, my breaks to play Pokemon at the same time. Um, uh, or, or I'll, I'll read. Uh, and that's, that's my other escape in life right now. I love it. So you just mentioned that, that very first client. So let's go back in time. As the CEO and founder of ShareChest, what did you say or transmit to your first potential client about ShareChest to win him or her over? You know what? I asked them to take a chance on me because I don't have <laughs> I, we don't have other clients. We can't show them what that success looks like. Uh, and really, I just had to learn to ask and say, you know, this is me. This is my profile. This is the team that I've built. This is where we want to go, and we won't be able to get there without you. So please just, you know, take a chance on me. And that's uh, I, there's, there's one thing that I want people to, to take away from this conversation is that, you know, if you're taking a chance on somebody, whether it's a job opportunity or a new cl- their first client for a startup, you can change someone's life. If someone wants their life changed, their business life changed, how do they get in touch with you? How do they find out more about ShareChest? Yeah, so they can visit us at our website. Uh, it is sharechest.io, or they can visit my personal website, which is sarahsun.ca. Uh, but I also just love connecting and having conversations with people. And so one of the easiest ways to get a hold of me is message me through LinkedIn, uh, set up a coffee chat, and uh, and we'll take it from there. Mm-hmm. CEO and founder of Share Chest and now business matchmaker, Sarah Sun, thank you for joining us on the feed. Thank you so much, Anne. And our next story is also about small business and supporting each other. Meet Lior Ohayon. He is the co-founder of Hush. Thanks for your time, Lior. Thanks for having me on. Okay, so let's start. Tell us about your own business, Hush. Well, Hush is a sleep optimization company. Uh, we focus primarily on making weighted blankets. And if you're not familiar with a weighted blanket... They help you fall asleep faster. Um, if you have stress or anxiety, um, they give you a nice calming effect because of all that weight on you. You know, it's sort of like a nice uh, hug from, from a loved one. So we've been doing that since around 2018. idea is basically to help Canadians sleep better. And, you know, weighted blankets are not new. They've been around for maybe... 100 years or so at this point, using rehab centers and hospitals around the world. But what we tried to do is make a premium version that actually, you know, looks good on your bed and isn't just, you know, used in, in a medical facility. So that's Hush in a nutshell. And how did this idea come to you? Why did you start this business in this line of work? 
That's a great question. So around 10 years ago, I was volunteering in a summer camp for special needs children, and they had a stimulation room there, and everything in that room was to stimulate the campers and help them either relax or, you know, calm their senses. And they had a weighted blanket in there. And I remember finding myself going back to this room over and over just to experience this weighted blanket. I loved it so much. So fast forward around 10 years, I, uh, I, I saw a weighted blanket on the internet and I thought to myself, you know what, these can be pretty popular. And I had a friend that, you know, I bounced ideas off of and I told him about this. And, you know, we both decided that the blankets that were currently for sale were, you know, usually geared towards people with mental health issues. Um, and we decided to make, you know, a really good looking one that replaces your duvet and that you can sleep with every single night. Wow. Sounds dreamy. So what is the connection to Dragon's Den? Well, we decided to audition for Dragon's Den in May of 2019. And, you know, it's quite a long story, but we ended up getting accepted and it aired on live TV in October of that year. So, um, I mean, they gave us a really big boost in Canada and put us on the map, I would say. Um, if you want me to give it away, we got offers from all six dragons, which I believe is a record, and they sort of started fighting over us. So, uh, you know, the episode garnered some attention. Well, congratulations. That sounds exciting. So that happened just before the pandemic. How did that pandemic, though, affect your own company? Well, I think it affected us in different ways. Um, at first, we were concerned about, you know, of course, the safety of, of our staff and, and our customers. So we had to figure out really early on if, you know, it was safe to continue shipping, if, you know, the items themselves would be um, safe. So for about a month, you know, there was a bit of a pause or, or a decline uh, when everyone was in that nervous stage. But then we saw that the anxiety and the stress that people were experiencing really started to increase from being uh, stuck at home and just from being, you know, afraid in general. So our sales started to go up as we started helping more and more people, um, you know, with, with this anxiety. Um, so I think that's been pretty common among e-commerce companies and uh, people in sort of the wellness space uh, in the past year and a half. So uh, we're glad to be able to help. So those are, these are the early days of your own company. Why did you decide to collaborate with other small business owners? That's a great question. I mean, I was walking down the street, walking my dog in Toronto, and I literally saw boarded-up shops. Um, some of my favorite uh, restaurants were closed. And uh, just from what I've been reading, like a lot of people are suffering. So I thought, you know, our business has, has a large audience, a large platform. It's growing. We need to put this to use and we need to speak our minds um, against these lockdowns. So we decided to request that if anyone has a business that is, is suffering at the moment, if we can collaborate in any way, whether it's to give them a shout out or do, do some sort of collaboration with them um, to, to let us know. And we got hundreds and hundreds of responses and that's how it sort of started. Um, you can get into details if you like about the collaboration that we did. Yeah, for sure. Tell us a little bit about some of the companies or businesses that you did collaborate with. 
Sure. So right away, one one story touched us. Um, Sarah is a local in Toronto, and she lost her business, and then she lost her job as well. So we decided that we would help her um, because, for fun, she started making candles, soy, soy candles, natural and scented. And we thought, you know, this goes well. This is a product that we sort of wanted to get into anyways, uh, maybe some lavender, which helps you sleep when you, when you smell it, things like that. And we can buy products from her, keeps her in business and, you know, creates business out of what she's already been doing as a hobby and sell them at the same time. So that's exactly what we did. We did a collaboration. We let everyone know that, uh, you know, it was in partnership and that she was the manufacturer. We did a story on her and things like that, and we made it limited edition so that um, people can really feel like they they were part of something supporting a, a small Canadian business. And, you know, we're glad to say that we sold out in two days. I wouldn't say put her on the map, uh, so to speak, but she's definitely gotten a lot of orders independently from us since then. Um, and we're going to be doing another collaboration. So I think she's doing that full time now. She, she opened a warehouse and things like that. So um, I can't speak to her specific situation, but I think, um, I think it, was a, it was a great success. It sounds like it. So what do you think that small business owners share with each other? What do they give each other? What do they provide to each other in terms of being able to continue to work, continue to go forward? I mean, the, the small business economy is, is what drives our entire economy. Without the small businesses, we wouldn't have the economy that we have. And I think there's a general understanding among small business owners that they need to be there for each other. They need to support each other. Um, you know, it was something I didn't even understand until this year, the whole uh, shop local, um, you know, phrase. It's, it's a really important concept, and uh, it's, it's really what keeps, um, keeps the world running. And what do you think, you know, in general terms, what have businesses, business owners learned from this pandemic? Um, I think they've been forced to learn how to adapt, first of all. Um, I've seen some really creative, uh, you know, businesses in the travel industry and things that really couldn't continue at all. And, and the way they've adapted and started offering new products and services, I've been really impressed with that. Um, so I think that's, you know, a hard-learned lesson for for most businesses, you know, you can't get too settled in your ways. You have to be creative and, and, and nimble to be able to adapt quickly. And Lior, tell us about your company. Where do you go from here? Well, <laughs> it's a good question. I mean, we're, we're continuing to grow. Our goal is to be in 1 million Canadian beds um, by the end of 2022. So we have a lot of work to do, but, um, you know, we're, we're glad that we're we're growing fast and going quick. So, um, you know, if we can help more people get a better night's rest, that's really all we want to do. Well, good luck with that. And if our listeners want to contact you or want more information about Hush, where can they connect? Sure, they can go to hush.ca or find us on Instagram at Hush Blankets. That's terrific. Thanks for your work and thank you for joining us on the feed. Thank you so much. After the break, recognizing pandemic heroes and the ABCs of financial literacy. Do you have a story idea for the feed? 
Call us at 416-335-1059 or email info at 1059theregion.com. Ann Romer and more of the feed coming up. This is 1059 The Region. Welcome back. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau joined us on the feed shortly after the big federal-provincial transit announcement on May 11th. He had this to say about how York Region will benefit from the York North subway extension. The federal government has pushed really hard uh, as part of our money coming in to make this happen. Uh, We've demanded that there be investments uh, in affordable housing, uh, particularly around the stops so that that's accessible for people, that there be community benefits uh, in the construction process that there be environmental benefits, uh, and that there also be a level of public consultation and engagement to make sure that these projects are gotten right. Uh, these are things that the federal government has forced to be in the, uh, in the deal uh, because we've been listening to the people of York Region. Richmond Hills Acting Mayor Joe DiPala joins us now with his take on what this multi-billion dollar transit plan will mean for his city. So how will... Richmond Hill benefit from this, and how important was it that we heard from the federal government? Well, it's an absolute game changer, and it's the final piece of the puzzle to get this subway project underway was the federal funding commitment, and that happened this month, and so many exciting developments on this project. It was two months ago that the initial business case was released, and one month ago, the federal government identified billions of dollars for the GTA Transit, and now last week it was confirmed that the Subway North extension will be one of those projects. Transit seems to be at the very core of this economic recovery that we are looking forward to. How important is this plan to the future of Richmond Hill? Well, and uh, not only will it contribute to our council's strategic priority of improving the ease of movement around the city and and strengthening our connectivity throughout the rest of the GTA, but it will also form the foundation of our plans for the Richmond Hill Centre. That's what's exciting. This is going to be a vibrant, pedestrian-friendly, contemporary urban centre integrating all our great parks, lakes, walking trails, and upscale retail. You know, Joe, there is an expression in real estate, and it's location, location, location. In this case, in Richmond Hills city planning case, it's consultation, consultation, consultation. That's something that you're all about in Richmond Hill. You've got various ways that people can participate in the planning of the future of their city. Let's start with the Mill Pond Park Revitalization Master Plan. Where are we at with that? Well, thanks, Anne. Yes, the city is engaging our our residents for for a number of plans, and these plans are going to form the basis for our overall update of our official plan, 2021. So the Mill Pond Park Revitalization is a project that was in part sponsored uh, by the provincial government, and we were very glad to receive those awards of funds. It it will see residents... uh, who already enjoy Mill Pond for, for many decades, we, we, we want to hear from them about how to update and revitalize this natural oasis through the online survey, and it's available until June 8th. Sounds like this also could be part of Richmond Hill's environment strategy, and that's being updated as we speak. Yes, it is. At the end of this month, residents will also be able to complete a survey in 
in, in June and participate in workshops in the fall on our environment strategy. So we're also updating our parks uh, plan, our recreation and cultural master plan, and we've got an age-friendly community initiative. And we're doing a comprehensive look at all of our zoning bylaws. Let's uh, tackle the age-friendly community initiative. It, it All those words put together sounds really quite interesting. What's that all about? Well, again, it's about engagement and, and feedback from our residents. We're doing a survey, virtual roundtables, and telephone interviews to make sure Richmond Hill is an age-friendly community. So it's a project under our strategic plan that... Uh, hopes to ensure our community enjoys a strong sense of belonging. Does that mean that seniors will feel that they belong somewhere or that young you know, kids or young people have a sense of belonging as well? Well, as, as much as Richmond Hill is an, an exciting emerging urban area, it is still very much suburban. And it's about families and their, their families and their abilities to, to, to be engaged with both seniors and our youth. Uh, are going to need specific initiatives to, to uh, feel included. That's why this priority of ours is a strong sense of belonging. It is so important to feel included, particularly as we move through this pandemic. And being recognized for, for good deeds, I think, is so important, the recognition. You've got something called COVID Community Heroes. So tell us about that and also how we can recognize those who we consider to be heroes. That's right. Well, we know the pandemic's been a hardship for many in Richmond Hill. So our, our community has really come together throughout the pandemic to support each other. I'm really proud to live here and represent our residents. So Richmond Hill's Community Recognition Certificate recognizes individuals and organizations in the community that have helped others during the COVID-19 pandemic. So our, our residents can, can visit richmondhill.ca and they can nominate someone. If you know someone who has made a measurable positive impact on the community during the pandemic, nominate them for this registration. You can do that at richmondhill.ca. And can it be something like safely driving a senior to a vaccination appointment or as a neighbor, knowing that someone is kind of shut in or, or isolating during this pandemic, that you're helping with their garbage or you're making sure that their newspapers are picked up? Are there things that are small like that that should be recognized? Absolutely, they should be. And that's our intention. You know, let's... Let's hear from, from our residents. We're probably going to find out some, some unique stories. But any, anyone who's come forward to help the community during this pandemic and you think it, that they've contributed a value, however large or small, uh, please let us know at City Hall. Other recognition that comes in the form of something called Richmond Hill Blooms. Oh, I love that thought. Well, again, Ann, it's a, a call for our, our residents to nominate uh, their neighbors who are they're doing a great job of uh, keeping their front lawns looking, looking good and contributing to our entire community looking good. So it's kind of pride of ownership in a way, and I don't mean literally because some own in Richmond Hill and others may rent, but pride of ownership, pride of, of, of what you have before you if you're a citizen of Richmond Hill. Why is all of this important? Consultations and also allowing citizens to nominate people for for certificates of COVID heroes and Richmond Hill Blooms. Why is this important as we are still tackling COVID-19? Okay, well, and for me, it's very important that our residents understand 
that we, we want to engage them. We want to provide them with as much information as possible. Uh, City, City Hall is here to serve. We are um, making all efforts during this pandemic to yeah, inform residents through a monthly e-newsletter. We send out a hard copy newsletter to all households twice a year. And our social media platforms are a great place to learn news quickly about our website, which also includes updates on projects and programs. And can people also watch council meetings a couple of times a month? Absolutely. I strongly encourage residents to, uh, to both subscribe to our monthly news and, and tune into YouTube. Uh, our council meetings are happening the second and fourth Wednesday of the month at 9.30 a.m. Uh, definitely, if you have an opportunity, you can, you can tune in from your own home and uh, watch how your tax dollars are being spent. And I also encourage listeners to continue to tune in to 105.9 The Region to hear from Acting Mayor Joe DiPaola once a month. It's wonderful, and I look forward to our next time together. For more information, go to richmondhill.ca. Thank you, Acting Mayor Joe DiPaola. Well, thank you very much, Anne. Hey, take care. You too, thank you. Talking to kids about money is never easy, especially during times of trouble. Karen Johnson is next with financial tips for the entire family. Over the past year, Canadian families have seen COVID-19 impact everything from their physical and mental health to their children's education and their personal finances. With many families doing homeschooling and spending more time at home, the time to address the family's financial literacy together has never come at a better time. Joining me on the feed is Mr. Mac Rogers, who's going to shed some light on the ABCs of Life Literacy in Canada. Good day to you, and thank you so much for joining us on the feed, Mac. Thank you. Happy to be here. Great to see you there. Listen, I, you know, I have two kids. I have two boys, a 10-year-old and, and a 14-year-old. And is it ever too soon to be talking about finances with kids? Absolutely not, and especially as a parent. I mean, that's why family literacy is so important, because parents and, and caregivers and grandparents are the child's first and most important teacher. We're always... You know, we spend more time with our, our kids than any other teacher will in, in school. And financial literacy is a key life skill. Um, it's impo- really important to understand where money comes from, how it's spent, and how to value it. I think it's uh, always a good thing to start. We started very early with ours. I like the sounds of that. So what do we start with? Like, what are the ABCs of financial literacy? How do we even start that conversation? Absolutely. I mean, I think it's um, the first thing to start is, is really with needs and wants. So what is in what is a need and what is a want? And really having that conversation because a lot of young people actually think that a, need, a want is a need. Um, you know, I need to have that new iPhone or I need to have, you know, that chocolate bar. Whereas we really need to distinguish that. And once you do that, then you can start thinking about how do we spend our money? That's a really good way to start the conversation. So a simple solution that we like to use is where you have different jars where you put your allowance or you put the money you earn washing dishes or cutting the lawn or, or whatever it is. And like one of those jars is for spending on whatever you want. One of the jars is for saving, so saving for something bigger, like a skateboard or something like that. But you might also have a jar, depending on your family, of one for donating to the local church. 
church or the community, or one to buy gifts for the rest of the family. So it's important to let the, the child decide where the money's um, being spent, mm-hmm. but give them the tools to get there. Now, I love those tools, but you also have a book that I was reading about called A Trip to the Amusement Park. Can you tell our, our listeners just a little bit about that? Because I found that as a really great tool as well. Absolutely. So when you're looking at, um, if you go to familyliteracyfirst.ca, you'll find all these free resources. And the newest resource we have is a workbook that comes with activities called A Trip to the Amusement Park. So it's part of our Numbers and Cents series that was sponsored by HSBC Bank Canada, which um, is an amazing partner. And it actually brings you a story as well as financial literacy tools, tips, activities that you can start right away with the kids. One of the nicest things about it is it's, in, it's available in English, French, and simplified Chinese, mm-hmm. and there's lots of other uh, activities, over 80, to be honest, on that website in Arabic and Tagalog and, and um, uh, as well as English, French, and simplified Chinese. I like the sounds of this. When was this program created? Because I don't think I saw it when I was growing up because I would have a completely different appreciation of finances. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the, the program was first launched in 2015, um, so it's been around for about six years, and, and like I said, HSBC has been an amazing partner, and we do events where we bring actual the volunteers into classrooms when we can do it in classrooms. We've been doing it virtually this year, of course, but it's been, um, it's been really interesting as we add new resources. We add resources about what's needed at the time, so it may have started with kind of basic financial literacy, so reading, writing, math, that sort of thing, mm-hmm. but particularly in times of the pandemic and people's finances are becoming more um, tricky to manage right now, um, we've really kind of dove deep into financial literacy for families. And you really tweaked it through the years, too, like you said, pertaining to you know what's happening and, and so forth, and like you said, the pandemic. Yeah, absolutely, and we want to be responsive to what we're hearing from our families. So when we have these events, we listen to them, and we're, and we're talking to the, both the volunteers and the families that are there, and we go, we ask the question, what do you want to learn about? And time and time again, it's financial literacy, digital literacy we, we spend some time with, as well as um, uh, the core literacy program that we, we are always running, and it's always available as well. Great. What are the benefits that kids receive or are taught with these skills, learning them earlier in life as opposed to, you know, later in, in university and so forth? Yeah, so the, the the sad fact is is that almost 40% of Canadian youth do not have suitable literacy skills. So it is a huge problem that we need to address, and it will help them across their entire lives. The higher your literacy skills, the more uh, successful you are at, in school and then in employment, and then uh, obviously that impacts your your finances later in life. But a parent has a huge part to play in that. So children whose parents are involved with them in family literacy activities score 10 points higher on standardized reading tests, which is a huge difference. Yeah. Yeah, it really makes a difference. So if you can take that 15, 20 minutes a day, it doesn't have to be reading. It can be cooking and singing and playing games and going for a walk and Mm -hmm. just exploring and celebrating learning together. You're going to be so much better off. How does this help adults? Is it bad? Does it solidify relationships? Does it make it stronger? Does it tweak it? What do you feel that this brings forth for adults? What does it contribute? 
It does all those things. You're 100% correct. The other thing it does, it actually allows us to practice our literacy and learning skills. So literacy skills, like any other skill, need to be practiced or they're going to erode. Um, so what it gives us an opportunity to is have the kids in- interact with the whole family and maybe bring the adult literacy up, particularly in things like digital literacy, where we all know that kids are way more advanced than us. Oh, don't so start me really, on that. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's really important that it's done as a family as much as you can um, because it allows the parents to, you know, really dig into their literacy skills and see where they could continue to learn. Well, I'm still fascinated with this whole subject matter, and I know a lot of our listeners are too. How can we get more information about this or even contact you? Do you have a website, a handle, social media? Yeah, absolutely. So our website is uh, abcliferacy.ca. Go there, and there's tons of programs. Everything's free. Uh, if you're actually interested specifically in the Family Literacy, HSBC Family Literacy First program, go to familyliteracyfirst.ca. And there's over 80 stories and activities available, all free, all for download, anytime you want it. Um, and it's And they're really fun and engaging. Well, I know Um, I'm definitely going to be doing that, and especially with my boys as well. Thank you so much for joining us, Mac Rogers, the Executive Director of ABC of Life Literacy Canada. And I'll tell you, it is a great refresher course that I truly appreciate. Thank you so much for joining us today on The Feed. When we come back, cookies for a good cause. Follow us on Twitter at 1059theregion. Ann Romer and more of The Feed after the break. This is 1059 The Region. Welcome back to The Feed. I'm Ann Romer. Over now to Jim Lang with the story of Carla's Cookies online bakery and a memorial fundraiser. It's hard to believe, but for the second year in a row, we are getting ready for virtual graduations for grade 8, high school, college, and university. I know our youngest daughter is getting ready to graduate grade 12 virtually, like thousands of other kids in the region. To talk more about it and how kids graduating can help people in need through Mad York Region and Mad Canada, thrilled to be speaking to the superstar of butter tarts, the amazing <laughs> Carla Malwin from Carla's Cookie Box. Carla, your butter tarts are superb. You're initiative even better. Thanks so much for joining us again in the feed. Thank you so much for having me again. I'm super excited uh, that I'm able to launch this um, this program for a second year in a row. It's, and this is the funny thing. It's the second year in a row we're having to do this because of COVID with virtual graduations and virtual ceremonies and virtual everything. But for the second year, grads can support Mad York Region, Mad Canada with this great campaign. No alcohol, no drugs, no victims. These T-shirts are really nice. They cost between $23 and $27, but the key $7 from each T-shirt goes to Mad Canada. That's amazing, Carla. You know, actually, I've raised that now. So now oh. um, I worked out uh, our numbers, and 100% of the proceeds will be going to Mad Canada. So for me, that's uh, $10 um, because we obviously have to purchase on a smaller scale as we're a small business. So 100% of the proceeds from these T-shirts are going to Mad Canada. Wow, news, news scoop. That's great, Carla. I mean, it's a great initiative. And, it, and unfortunately, here in 2021, it's still a message we need to hit home to the youth as they get older so they'll do, they don't make a tragic mistake that could kill others and ruin people's lives for years to come. If we teach them now, just maybe, just maybe it'll save a life down the future, Carla. Yeah, 100%. I think um, young people are, are the best people to target. And not be 
uh, only because they'll be the ones that we send a message to. But their voices are so prominent, and especially in 2021, I find that they have such a voice uh, on social media, uh, out in the public. People really listen and really, um, they really adhere to what they're saying and how they're saying it. And, you know, I think it's the best way to get a message like this across. I think the only way that we'll be able to make a change is through young people. And I 100% believe that. I I think that they're amazing. And I think that the message that they have today will spread to their parents and their aunts and their uncles because I'm finding more and more that those are the people that we really have to target, Um, not the kids, because kids are really smart and they don't want to be criminals and they don't want to be getting into cars impaired. I'm finding that we need to start targeting uh, people um, that are older because they're the ones that I'm finding in the news, um, that they tend to be the ones that are drinking and driving more as they're losing jobs, as they have family commitments, they're drinking more. And the drinking, for me, is not, is not the issue. For me, the issue is drinking and then putting the key in the ignition. We have so many ways to not uh, Uh, drink and drive. We have so many ways to get around the city that we don't need to be putting uh, a key in the ignition after we've been drinking. Well, Carla, Carla's Cookie Boxes, Superstar Butter Tarts, some of the top 10 butter tarts in the province. Uh, You can get more details at CarlaCookieBox.com and her Twitter feed at Carla Cookie Box. And Carla, I think you nailed it. We see these stories from York Regional Police, Toronto Police, OPP, people, men and women, 40s, 50s, and 60s getting mm-hmm. arrested for impaired. And uh, it, it makes your head scratch. Like, why? As you say, there's Lyft and Uber and taxis and this and that. There's so many ways to get home. Why people of that age? It makes no sense, Carla. It makes zero sense to me. And the man that killed my brother in August of 2019, it was a bright, sunny day. He was getting off of work and he downed seven eighths a bottle of Crown Royale and put his key in the ignition and drove and um, essentially killed my brother uh, eight minutes after uh, he apparently finished working. So why is this happening? Why are we enabling it to happen? Why are we allowing this to happen? What is going to change? What can we change? Verdicts for my brother's um, crash just came down two weeks ago, mm-hmm. and it, it was very detrimental to us. It was, um, he got six and a half years uh, sent, uh, sentenced in federal prison, and th- to me, that is not a deterrent. It's not, it's not a deterrent. It, it's not going to stop someone else from getting into a car uh, after they've been drinking. In the meantime, you can get these shirts and get the word out. CarlaCookieBox.com. Get these t-shirts. They're fantastic. No alcohol, no drugs, no victims. I think it's a fantastic initiative, especially to help the youth of this region, of this province, celebrate graduating grade 8, high school, college, university. And it's a special message that will be hit home now and hopefully stick with them for years to come, Carla. I think it's amazing that you're doing this. We're so proud of you to be part of this. 
Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. No problem. And maker of great butter tarts, Carla Malwin. She is an awesome baker. She's a philanthropist, and she's giving back to the people in a great way and helping the youth. We are so proud to have you on the feed at Carla Cookie Box. And get those shirts, CarlaCookieBox.com. Carla, you rock. Thanks so much for doing this. Thanks, Jim. Appreciate it. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. If you missed any part of our show, please go to 1059theregion.com for the free podcast edition. I'm Ann Romer. Thank you for listening.